Chapter Fourteen of the Bells of San Juan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Bells of San Juan by Jackson Gregory. Chapter Fourteen. A free man. I'm a free man, if you please. The sheriff stood in the hotel doorway, looking down upon her as she sat in her favorite veranda chair. I've given my keeper his fee and sent him away. May I watch you while you read? Virginia closed her book upon her knee and gave him a smile by way of welcome. He looked unusually tall as he stood in the broad, low entrance. His ten days of sickness, his inactivity, had made him gaunt and haggard. "'I shouldn't be reading in this light anyway,' she said. "'I hadn't noticed that the sun was down. It is good to be what you call free again, isn't it?' He laughed softly, put his head back, filled his lungs. Then he came to her and stood leaning against the wall, his hat cocked to one side to hide the bandage. "'The world is good.' he announced with gay positiveness, especially when you've been away from it for a spell and weren't quite sure what was next, and especially, too, when you've had time to think. Did you ever take off a week and just do nothing but think? One doesn't have time for that sort of thing as a rule, she admitted. There's a chair standing empty if you care to let me in on your deductions. I don't want to sit down or lie down until I'm ready to drop, he grinned down at her. Bed makes me sick at my stomach, and a chair is pretty near as bad. I'd like almighty well to get a horse between my knees and ride. Suppose I'd fall to pieces if I tried it right now? Sure of it. And not so sure that you haven't discharged your keeper prematurely. You mustn't think of such things. There you go, forbidding me to think again. Believe I will sit down. Would you believe that a full-grown man like me could get as weak as a cat this quick? He took the chair just beyond her, tilted it back against the wall, his booted heels caught under its elevated legs, and glanced away from her to the colorful sky above San Juan's scattered houses in the west. Yes, sir, he continued his train of thought. I'd like a horse between my knees. I'd like to ride out yonder into the sunset to meet the night as it comes down. I'd like the feeling of nothing but the stars over me instead of the smothery roof of a house. Doesn't it appeal to you, too? Yes, she said. You and Paris, with me on my big roan riding, not as we rode the other night, but just for the fun of it, I'd like to ride like the devil. You don't mind my saying what I mean, do you? To go scooting across the sagebrush, letting out a yell at every jump, boring holes in the night with my gun, making all the racket and dust that one man can make. Ever feel that way? Just like getting outside and making a noise? Let me talk. I'm the one who has been shut up for so long my tongue has started to grow fast to the roof of my mouth. At first, I could do nothing but lie flat on my back in a sort of fog, seeing nothing clearly, thinking not at all. Then came the hours in which I could do nothing but think, under orders to keep still. Think. Why, I thought about everything that ever happened, most things that might happen and a whole lot that never will. Now comes the third stage. I can talk better than I can walk. Do you mind listening while a man raves? Not in the least. She found his mood contagious, and smiling in that quick, bright way natural to her, showed for a moment the twin dimples of which, together with a host of other things, he had ample time to think during his bedroom imprisonment. Please, Raymond. In due course, he mused, the fourth stage will arrive, and I can be doing something besides talk, can I? Now let me tell you about the king's palace. 
you begin well. The King's Palace is where we are going on our first outing. That was decided three days ago at four minutes after six a.m. You and I, and if you like, Florrie, and your kid brother, will ride out there in the very early morning in the saddle before the stars are gone. We'll lunch and loaf there all day. For lunch, we will have bacon and coffee, cooked over a fire in one of the palace anterooms. We will have some trout, fried in the bacon grease, trout whipped out of the likeliest mountain stream you ever saw or heard about. We will have cheese, perhaps, and maybe a box of candy for dessert. We'll ride home in the dusk and the dark. The King's Palace, she asked curiously. I never heard of such a place. Are you making it all up? Not a bit of it. It's all that's left of some of the old ruins of the same folk who lived in the caves up on the cliffs. Do you know why I'm bound to get Jim Galloway's tag sooner or later? Her mind with his had touched upon the hidden rifles, and the abrupt digression was no digression to her, reached by the span of suggestion. Because he is in the wrong and you are in the right, or, in other words, because he opposes the law and you represent it. Because he plays the game wrong. Some more results of a long week of nothing to do but think things out. There is just one way for a lawbreaker to operate if he means to get away with it. You mean that a man can get away with it? Surely not for good. But he nodded thoughtfully at the slowly fading strata of shaded colors splashed across the sky. A man can get away with it for keeps, if he plays the game right. Jim Galloway isn't that man, and so I'll get him. He has ignored the first necessary principle, which is the lone hand. You mean he takes men into his confidence? And he goes on and ignores the second necessary principle. A man must stop short of murder. If he turns gangman and killer, he ties his own rope around his neck. If a man like Galloway, a man with brains, power, without fear, without scruple, could decide to loot this corner of the world, or any other corner, and set about it right, playing the lone hand invariably, he would be a man I couldn't bring in in a thousand years. But Galloway slipped up. He has too many Moragas and Antones and Fidels at his heels. He has been the cause, directly or indirectly, of too many killings. A theft will be forgotten in time, the hue and cry will die down. Spilled blood cries to heaven after ten years. Galloway is back in San Juan. I know. I wanted him back. I wanted him free and unhampered. He'll be bolder than ever now, won't he, if this case is dropped. He's come out a little into the open already. He'll be tempted out a little further. There'll be more of his work soon, a robbery here or there and he will grow so sure of himself that he'll get careless. Then I'll get him. But have you the right? she asked quickly. Knowing him a lawbreaker, have you the right to allow him to go further and further, just because in the end you hope to get him? He met her look with a smile which puzzled her. I'll answer your question when you define right and wrong for me, he said quietly. They grew silent together, watching the gradual sinking of day into twilight and early dusk. Norton, for all his vaunted ravings, had grown thoughtful, Virginia turning her eyes toward him, while his were staring out beyond the housetops, saw in them a look of deep, frowning speculation. And through this look, 
like a little fire gleaming through a fog, was another look, whose meaning baffled her. "'What do you think of Patton?' he asked. Startled by his abruptness, characteristic of him, though it was to-day, she asked in a puzzled fashion, "'What do you mean?' "'Not as a man,' he said, withdrawing his gaze from the sunset and bestowing it gravely upon her. "'As a physician. You size him up as capable or as something of a quack.' She hesitated, but finally she made the only reply possible. Of course you don't expect any answer, knowing that you should not come to one member of a profession for an estimate of another. Besides, you realize that I know nothing whatever of Dr. Patton, either as a man or as a physician. He laughed softly. Hedging. Pure, unadulterated hedging. I didn't look for that from you. Shall I tell you what we both think of him? He is a farce and a fake and I rather think that I am going to run him out of the state pretty soon. What would you say of a doctor who couldn't tell the difference between a wound made by a man bumping his head when he fell and by a smashing blow with a gun barrel? Patton doesn't guess yet that it was the blow Moraga gave me the other night which came so close to ringing down the sable curtains for me. Moraga, she asked with quickened interest, not the same Moraga who shot Brocky Lane. The same little old Moraga, he assured her lightly. You needn't mention her broad, of course. I don't think Galloway got a chance to talk with him, and we're not sure yet that he even knows Moraga was here. But I know somebody put me out in the dark by hammering me over the head. And Tom Cutter found blood on Moraga's revolver. But we wander far afield. Coming back to Patton, we agree that he's something of a dub. I'd rather not discuss him. Exactly, and I, being in the talkative way, I am going to tell you that he has made blunders before now, that at least one man died under his nice little fat hands who shouldn't have died outside of jail that long ago. I had my suspicions and began instituting inquiries that now I am fully prepared to learn that Caleb Patton has no more right to an M.D. after his name than I have. You must be mistaken. I hope you are. Men used to do that sort of thing, but under existing laws. Under existing laws, men do a good many things, and, and about San Juan, which they shouldn't do. I've found out that there was a Caleb Patton who was a young doctor, that there was a Charles Patton, his brother, who was a young scamp, that they both lived in Baltimore a few years ago, that from Baltimore they both went hastily, no man knows where. This gentleman whom we have with us might be either one of them. Here comes Ignacio. Que Ignacio. Que Ricardo, responded Ignacio, coming to lean languidly against the veranda post. He removed his hat elaborately, his liquid eyes doing justice to Virginia's dainty charm. Buenas tardes, senorita, he greeted her. What to do, Ignacio? queried Norton. No bells for you to ring for the last ten days. You grow fat in idleness, amigo mio. Ignacio sighed and rolled his cigarette. What is new, you ask? No. Bueno, this is new. He lifted his eyes suddenly, and they were sparkling as with suppressed excitement. The devil himself has made a visit to San Juan. Si, senor, si, senorita, it is so. Virginia smiled. Norton gravely asked the explanation. Why should his satanic majesty come to San Juan? Why, Kiyosambe? 
Ignacio shrugged all responsibility from his lazy shoulders. But he came, and more bad will come from his visit, more and more of evil things. One knows. Sego, you see? One knows, but I will tell you, and the senorita. No one else knows of it. It was while in the Casa Blanca men are shooting, while Roderico Nortone will make his arrest of poor Vidal, who is dead now. He crossed himself and drew a thoughtful puff from his cigarette. I ran fast to ring the bells. I came into the garden, and it is dark. I came under the bells, and while my hand cannot find the rope, see, si, senor and senorita, before I touch the rope, the captain begins to ring, just a little, not long, low and quiet and angry, and then he stop and I shiver. It is hard not to run out of the garden, but I cross myself and find the ropes and make all the bells dance. But I know it was the devil who was before me. End of chapter 14